All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 35th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I'll turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from this past week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 17 points. We'll call that flat for the week. The S&P 500 in the week just passed was up about 68 points or 1.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 362 points or 2.3%. Now for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2.6%. The S&P 500 year to date is up 5.4%. And the NASDAQ year to date is up 6.5%. Thank you, Jeff. Welcome. Well, I know we were talking amongst ourselves before we started recording the show how, you know, so far with now today, as this show is being broadcast February the 10th, just some eerie similarities. I don't even want to use the word eerie. Let's just say similarities of how the market is coming hot out of the blocks this year as it did in 2023. And I was looking back at some technical charts on the S&P 500, and I noticed that when the 50-day moving average of the S&P 500 went over the 200-day moving average of the S&P 500, which is referred to on Wall Street as the Golden Cross, it occurred on February the 7th of 2023. And we have never seen a death cross where the 50-day goes below the 200-day since. Well, if if it is eerily similar, I will take this kind of eerie if if especially indicates that we're going to be up 25% again in the S&P 500. I'll take that in back-to-back sure. years. I don't think uh that's going to happen. Uh that's that would be statistically extremely unusual. You have to go back to the late 1990s dot com boom period when we had those kind those kind of back to back years. Though I ha you know, I know y'all have heard some rumblings that the interest in artificial intelligence uh is in some ways people are trying to compare that to what was happening in during the dot com era and 
I don't think that they're anywhere near close to comparable. Um, others, not from a valuation standpoint. No, not from a valuation standpoint. I just mean a general propelling the markets. Sure. Uh, this this frenzy that developed in the markets during that time period. The stories I would hear about people standing outside in line when when we used to have a Charles Schwab branch in Corpus Christi. I heard stories of people were standing in line to get into the office to open accounts so that they could invest. You know, I, that that's not happening right now. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, Kyle. The, the value from a valuation point of view, for those that are trying to make a case, you know that uh, the markets are as overvalued today as they were in the late 20th century. They they don't hold any water at all. Are we above historic valuations uh, with respect to the S and P 500? Yes. Are we? near anywhere near those valuations that we had in the late 20th century no uh does that mean that there's a imminent multi-year bear market in our future i don't think so uh not with the current market uh, environment expecting and to some extent the federal reserve confirming that sometime this year there will be interest rate cuts though i think it is pretty clear and it was this week. You know, one of the things I didn't didn't mention last week. You know, there were there was no economic news in the week just passed, but we did have nine Fed presidents and two Fed governors on speaking, doing speaking uh, uh, deals all around the, the United States. None of them said there was going to be six interest rate cuts this year, and the market didn't fall out of bed. Even though that's what what the market was expecting as of yeah, as of the end of December, yeah, Joe. Well, on that on that note, what did the ten year finish at Friday? Four point one seven. So you the ten year one seven. We we were up like fifteen basis points. Yeah. So week. you had the Nasdaq, you know, on on, on a tear Friday, and then you have you know the yields going up, which we talked about last year. One of the things we, you know, last year when we saw yields going down, we would see the Nasdaq have typically have a pretty good rally. So there's not that 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 correlation there. I think at the least other thing not I want, on Friday, right? The other thing I want to point out because I remember this back when I was at another firm that y'all are very familiar with. One of your what, what, do, you, what do you call it, your legacy distribution firms? Mm-hmm. And back then there was a tremendous amount of IPOs in the tech bubble, like Palm or Pets.com, all of these IPOs, we're not seeing that, that big no. rush of all these AI uh, IPOs, if you will. And that's a little bit of something that's different because I remember people calling up and when I was at this firm, hey, can you get me shares of XYZ IPO? And right. kind of with people lining up to open up Schwab's accounts. We're not seeing that euphoria in this particular space regarding AI, I don't think. But well, you know, Joe, Great point, and another good point that Joe just brought up is the fact that we ha- we did see interest rates move higher this week, but the market responded higher. And when I look at the volume, when I look at the buy volume for the S&P 500 over this past week, I mean, Tuesday, buy volume 12% above average. You know, uh, Thursday, 21%, or excuse me, Wednesday, 21%. Thursday, it was 7% above. Now, Friday, buy volume was about 3% below. But, you know, some, some analysts might say, you know, that's new buying. That's new capital coming into the market, even though, and, and, you know, one thing we haven't even mentioned, well, I'll mention it before we go to the first commercial break, we had the S&P 500 close above 5,000 for the first time in history. 
And it took over two and a half plus years for the S&P 500 to move that 1,000 points from 4,000 to 5,000 points. I believe I read this past you know, Friday morning that this was the second longest streak, the second longest time period it took for the S&P 500 to increase 1,000 total points. So that's something else, you know, recovering from the worst combined stock and bond market in 2022 since 1872, and it's taken the second longest period of time for the S&P to gain an additional 1,000 points from 4,000 to 5,000. Let's pause right there, take our first commercial break. When we come back, we'll continue to recap the happenings of this past week on Wall Street. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street over this pa- from this past week, right before we went to break, uh, I had to get that in in the first break, and I know, Jeff, I kind of freaked you out. I mean, we are brothers, but you said during the commercial break, it's like you had that thought, and 10 seconds later, I brought it up. And for our listeners that are just tuning in, the S&P 500 hit a milestone on Friday to close above 5,000 points for the first time in history. And right before I went, to, we went to break, I was mentioning that this was the second longest span of time it has taken the S&P 500 to move 1,000 total points from 4,000 to 5,000. And I was just reading that in an article Friday morning from MarketWatch. And, you know, this all kind of comes back around to the, the the one theme that we've been hearing more and more over the past couple of weeks is a lot of analysts and money managers that are on CNBC, the financial entertainment press a lot, just kind of in this disbelief of the market's run and, again, the continued concentration of the market run in just a handful of stocks. You know, it was the Magnificent Seven. Tesla has kind of fallen out of that list so far this year due to its earnings and forward guidance. So now we're down to the six, you know, with Meta, you know, Google, Amazon, Apple, NVIDIA, Microsoft being kind of those magnificent six, as you want to call them, and also representing what, close to 25, if not a little bit over 25% of the total market capitalization of the S&P 500. And so we were talking about valuations, and a lot of these analysts that have been on the street, a lot of these money managers have been on the street for a very long time trying to correlate what we've been seeing so far this year to what we saw in the dot-com era. And, Joe, you brought up some great points. We're not seeing IPOs left and right like we did in 2000. The valuation of these tech companies is nowhere close to the valuation as we saw in the late 90s and early 2000s in the dot-com bubble bursting. We're not seeing individual investors wrapped outside of a building trying to open up brokerage accounts and people giving stock tips at the coffee pot at the office. We're just not seeing that. But as I was discussing on the first segment, 
from a technical standpoint where the S&P 500 created its golden cross with the 50-day moving average crossing above the 200-day moving average, it occurred almost exactly a year ago as this radio show is broadcasting. It occurred on February the 7th of 2023. And we haven't gone below that from a 50-day crossing below the 200-day. Now, going not, again, not to bore our listeners to death, looking at the market technically, we have had quite a substantial run since the market went above the 50-day average back on November the 2nd of last year. And as of Friday's close, we are the 50-day moving average you know, we're 5.4% above that where the market is. And what I've seen historically looking back over the last couple of years is when we have this kind of run and this kind of gap from where the S&P closes versus its 50-day moving average, it makes us ripe for a pullback. Pullback. A pullback. Of, of, pullback uh, Jeff would say. Correction is – Correction, is, exactly. Is, could be expected at any time. The catalyst for that correction – may not be necessarily any new news. It may just be the market deciding they might want to pay attention to something that's already been in the market but has, has been ignored up, up to this point. I don't mean to put you on the spot, Kyle. Have you looked mm-hmm. at the earnings, you know, in terms of where we're at? Back uh, ahead, behind. I'll pull it up. Because uh, I think one of the things that, that's been driving – uh, market gains this year, as I think that the earnings ex- the earnings that have come out have been ahead of expectations, and there hasn't been that many uh, of the the really more followed, more more well, more widely owned stocks other than Tesla. Tesla first comes to my mind uh, that have that have lowered the bar, or you know, they, they turn in good earnings reports, but then tried to temper expectations for 2024. That hasn't uh, necessarily been the case. I know I one that came to my head last this past week. Disney Disney turned in really good yeah. earnings results, and it was up what uh, high single digits on they had the, a on seven the, or eight. Uh, yeah, seven or eight percent gain, which is which hasn't happened for them in a long time, and they've had nothing but bad news here of late uh, for them. Yucca. They have those statistics, and so this is as of Friday's close for the fourth quarter of 2023. Sixty-seven percent of the S and P 500 companies have reported actual results. Seventy-five percent of the S and P 500 companies have reported positive earnings per share surprises, and 65% of those companies have reported positive revenue surprises. So for the fourth quarter of 2023, the blended earnings year-over-year growth rate is now standing at 2.9%. And if 2.9% is the actual growth rate for the fourth quarter of 2023, it will mark the second straight quarter that the index has reported earnings growth. Now, from a valuation standpoint, which we were talking about in the last segment, the forward 12-month price-earning ratio for the S&P 500 is 20.3%. Now, that's above the five-year average of 18.9 and above the 10-year average of 17.7. However, how much of that valuation is being driven by the outperformance of the Magnificent Seven? 
or six now since <laughs> Tesla. Jim uh, Cramer know, shot Tesla out of the seven. It's just the, the 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 power six pack, as he calls it. I wouldn't doubt Tesla. So, they, they, in, in the, in the, just to give some color, I think the late nineteen nineties, the S and P five hundred, I think was in the thirties, like the mid thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of PE, and then stocks, and I remember this, and and I hope I don't. Dad will tell me if I misquoted it, but I remember a stock like GE, General Electric, that had nothing to do with the internet. I think at the time was had a PE in the seventies. What? I, I I I think I might be remembering that correctly, but I'm sure I'll get wow. beat up by somebody if I remembered it wrong. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, is that even stocks that were not part of the craze. And GE certainly wasn't one of them, was trading at valuations substantially higher than what the overall market was trading. We don't we don't see that here. The stocks that are trading really you know, substantially above the S and P five hundred are the stocks that, that that are you know technology based or have you know, some AI story that they're part of. Um, it's not the non AI not it, Type stocks that have these that are having these huge valuations. Yes, Kyle. One th- one thing I will say, looking at the earnings picture from the fourth quarter of twenty three, is that you know companies are definitely very much throttling uh, back their forward guidance because as it stands, as of Friday's close, only twenty one companies have issued positive EPS guidance. And 52 companies have issued negative EPS guidance. So the other companies, they're just not giving a positive or negative. They're just doing everything they can to just kind of keep the bar where it is and not shoot for the stars, so to speak, since only 21 companies that have reported earnings have given positive earnings per share guidance. And I mean, I would say, from a you know, thinking as a CEO, that's that's probably wise because they have again cover to not set the bar so incredibly high. We all know, and we talked about this on last week's show, the Fed is not cutting interest rates in March, as we've been saying for months on this show, and I'll repeat it again. We were in the camp of late spring, early summer, at the earliest for the Fed to cut rates, and based on all the Fed speak that we heard this past week. Uh, we kind of seem they seem to kind of be in the same thought process as we are from a timeline standpoint um but another piece of news that did come out on friday and i think was maybe a little bit of fuel for the market on friday and to help the s&p finally close above 5000 for the first time is that we saw a revision in the consumer price index from december now part of that revision was because I guess the easiest way to explain it, just like the S&P 500 as an index has a rebalancing period, same thing with the NASDAQ, the components that went in that go into the consumer price index had a some sort of a rebalance that occurred. And based on this rebalance for 2024, they went back and crunched the numbers that came out in December of 23. And what did they find? That the consumer price index was revised lower by one-tenth of a percent. So in the month of December, CPI, consumer price index, only rose two-tenths of a percent instead of three-tenths of a percent after they did this rebalance. So again, it's showing that inflation is continuing to move in the right direction. And that, again, is what we need to continue to see in order to get the Fed to start cutting interest rates. Don't hold your breath. 
No, I'm not holding Thank a breath. You. And any and any listener of this program knows the Money Wise program knows that you know when we're anticipating the first rate cut to take place. But right now we've got to take a cut for a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So continuing to recap Wall Street over this past week, I know in the last segment I got deep into the technical weeds, the technical charts, the squiggly lines, as we like to call it, about the S&P 500. But the big point I wanted to go back and discuss is the kind of run that the market has had, really going back to November, beginning of November of last year and how far the market has run up above its 50-day moving average, and the 50-day moving average is well above the 200-day moving average, which occurred February 7th of last year. And so the market is set up now that reaching that 5,000-point mark and closed on Friday that we are set up for a potential you know, pullback, a garden variety, as Joe likes to call it, corrective move. Now, I would say just shooting from the hip that if we had a corrective move anywhere between three, maybe a 5% pullback, because I know there's a lot of money managers out there just looking for a pullback as a buying opportunity. And also just historically, February tends to be weaker months. September and February are kind of the two weaker months historically for the market. Um, so I would say to any of our home gamers, anyone listening, thinking about putting some money to work this month, to do it very, very slowly. Be very patient. Because I know from a, from a strategy standpoint at Davidson Capital, you know, we're still not at our maximum allocations to stocks. We're close just from appreciation, but we're also wanting to do a full rebalance on the equity side of our portfolio, but really wanting to do that when we see an opportunity to get in at a, at a lower price through a corrective move. Uh, from a strategy standpoint. And so for investors wanting to put some more money, get some more equity allocation in their portfolio, do it very slowly, be very patient, because we do have a technical setup for a short-term corrective move. Well, I I would also chime in on that and say, all right, if you overweight the Magnificent 7, you might want to trim a little bit and get back to your your allocations that you started with. So especially those stocks. And that depends on where your allocation is. If you're planning on increasing your allocation to those stocks and they've already had kind of a run-up, you know, maybe maybe you hold off. You know, maybe you hold off and just kind of leave them be. But if it's run well past what you want to allocate to that position, then, yeah, I would say in the next week because, I mean, we've got CPI coming up next week, and that could be a market-moving piece of data, um, either good, you know, obviously good or bad. It just depends on on what the numbers come out and say. Uh, obviously, if CPI comes in cooler than expected, then that could then 
trigger the animal spirits to say, well, now the Fed is going to be cutting rates sooner, so let's start getting the buying you know, going. If it comes in hotter, the reverse could happen for sure, especially with this kind of a run-up that we've had. So, so, so switching gears a little bit in this segment, I had a an email question from a client inquiring if if we were at, if we were concerned about what was happening with uh, consumer loan delinquencies and there was a link to a article here online I, I, the website name is zerohedge.com and they had an article talking about credit card and auto delinquency soaring, and especially in what we'll call the millennial age group between 18 and 39. And the question was like, do you think that this this increase in delinquencies should be a reason to be concerned that something might be, you know, might be negatively happening in the stock market um, in the immediate future? And so there were some interesting statistics talking about the aggregate household debt balance and how much it had increased in 2023. And we're we're now at 17.5 trillion, mm-hmm. uh, which is the most since the end of 2019. Now understand that when I'm talking about consumer credit, and I throw out that number 17.5 trillion, that includes mortgage balances, either first mortgages, home equity lines of credit, second mortgages, cars credit cards, um, personal loans, that that's all rolled into one. But mortgages are the biggest component of that. Between mortgage balances and home equity lines of credit, uh, $12.5 trillion of that $17.5 trillion in, in debt is just mortgages. Credit wow. card balances are, are now over $1.13 trillion, auto balance, auto loan, uh, balances 1.61 trillion, and you know other consumer loans, uh, credit, you know, uh, the, uh, student loans. They're like 1.6 trillion. So the problems that the, where, where we're seeing the big run up in delinquencies are not in mortgages. It's in all those other components, and so that's why I'm not as necessarily concerned with with those delinquencies going up in non-mortgage related debt because that was the, it was the, it was the delinquencies in not in, in mortgage related debt that was one of the triggers for the great recession you know 0809 yes Kyle well and it's it's interesting you're bringing up mortgages cuz i had an interesting conversation with with a client outside of Houston uh, earlier this week where she you know likes to educate herself and goes out onto YouTube and finds different financial talk shows, what have you, uh, talking about uh, all things finance. And she ran across a video of this gentleman that's stating that the housing market is going to go down the same path as it did in the housing crisis. And I asked her, my first question out of her mouth is, okay, what was he selling at the end of the video? with this doom and gloom prediction because typically when you have these doomsday these doomsdayers 
Um, they typically have something to sell you right at the perfect time to protect you against all of it. When And she, I don't think, watched the video to the end to, to be able to answer that question. But I just want to make it very clear in the conversation I was having with her is that we got to think back to what really created that housing bubble back in 2006, 2007 with all the liar loans, the no-doc loans, all the shenanigans going, subprime, taking, subprime all it's the shenanigans... Subprime, yeah. Take, taking place with the appraisers of these homes and the mindset that real estate can do nothing but go up in value. And we've all learned a valuable lesson. And I said, well, I, I don't think that that's something that we ever have to worry about unless regulations get completely thrown out of the window because of all the lessons learned, where you have to have the documentation, you have to have verifiable income. There's new rules about how appraisers are selected. It's a blind appraisal. You goes out into a pool, an appraiser picks it up. There's no proprietary relationships involved to keep that from occurring. So in case any of our listeners have, have come across these videos or this prognostication that the housing market's going to go kaput, that, that's, uh, that do not see that happening because of all the new rules in place. Something else I read, Jeff, about real estate, this past week is they asked, I believe, the head of the Realtors Association for the U.S., kind of what is the magic mortgage rate to really unlock the housing market? And he predicts that 6% is that magic number. And with, you know, 30-year, you know, conventional mortgages and even jumbo mortgages still running a bit above 7 we still have some time, and I think, again, we're going to have to see the first rate cut, if not two or three, to really bring those mortgage rates more to that six handle. So that would take about – that would take – we'll just approximate it at four interest rate cuts of a quarter percent each, which is most likely what the Fed would do since they – the last – set of interest rate increases were mostly a quarter point at a time, I would expect them to cut by the same, at the same pace. So a 6% mortgage rate, if you assume and take the Federal Reserve at its word, the consensus is like three rate cuts, but not until the second half of the year, because I don't, you know, because I don't think they're going to cut until after, after the election. I don't think they want to appear like they're they're uh, appeasing the Democratic Party by cutting prior to. Uh, Dad would totally disagree with me. And a couple nights ago, he was pounding the table. They're going to be cut. Disagree March. with you on that too. I say, yeah. I, well, no, not March. I say late, late spring, early yeah. summer, first cut. Yeah. So anyway, uh, if you were assume it take it would take four quarter point rate cuts to get the mortgage rate down to six, that's into next year. That's twenty twenty five to me. To get it to six percent, uh, but I, I think I, the the bottom line of I know we got a little bit of time left. The bottom line for me from from looking at the charts and they're very interesting charts to see how the delinquency rates in auto loans and credit card loans. The charts look very similar to what happened during the Great Recession. There's this sharp increase, but the other thing is, is that also happened you know, up to the Great Recession was mortgage delinquencies also had that sharp increase, and that is not what's happening right now. So I think it was the mortgage delinquencies that triggered the Great Recessions mm-hmm. and the auto loans and the mm-hmm. all those other loans followed suit. 
Yeah, it was it was the big domino that fell. And one other point before we go to break is that the debt to income ratios, and as far as the amount of money it takes uh, an American household to cover that debt from a percentage of disposable income on a monthly basis, is at the one of the lowest levels in history. On top of that, so they're able to cover those debts and those higher debts on credit cards and what have you from a debt to income ratio standpoint. Well, with that, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Moneywise program, what is shift gears? Kind of going to, uh, I don't know if we call it the, the consumer corner or maybe just the buyer beware uh, corner. Jeff, I know that you ran across a friend of a client of ours who had gotten involved in some investments. And, of course, long-time listeners of the Money Wise program know some of the investment products or insurance products that are sold all throughout radio show land uh, and commercials from the legacy distribution system, how much we dislike them. But I believe that you ran across something here recently that you'd never seen before, but it was really raising the red hurricane flag over your head. And I'm not going to put you on the spot because I know you still want to spend some more time doing some research, but I wanted you to talk to everybody of kind of setting this up so we can go into more depth for next weekend's show. So a client brought in a friend of hers from out of town, um, to my office, to the office here in Corpus, and her friend had some questions about an investment that she was involved in, and I, I started ask, asking her some questions. You know, what 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 type of investment was it? And she started to talk about currencies, and I said, "So, do you get?" First thing I asked is, "Do you get a monthly statement?" From this investor, he said, "Oh, I get daily. I get daily updates. So that's okay. That's great. Do you get any statements? Do you get any written statements in the mail from this organization? Either monthly, quarterly, annually? Do you get anything? No, I don't get anything. So that was my first red flag: is that they're not. She's not receiving any sort of statement. She gets this some kind of text or whatever it was on her phone. It was all on her phone, and she handed me her phone." And there was this name of this organization on the phone, and there was all this gobbledygook that looked like some kind of trading uh, audit trail that made no sense. Yeah, this and and then all these numbers, and at the bottom of the page, it it had this this number. I said, "Well, is this their value? Is this the value of your investment?" And and she said, "Yes." I said, "Well." Can you tell me what that number reads? Because it didn't have a dollar sign. It didn't have any. Co- I mean, it was just it. It was just numbers kind of strewn together with spaces. 
And I said, am I supposed to, is this telling me that your investment is worth $1.12 million? And she said, yes, that's what that means. I said, you notice how it doesn't even look like it's presented on the page properly? It's like a a five-year-old got a spreadsheet out and put these numbers on a piece of paper and put them in your phone. And I asked her, how much money did you put into this investment? And she said, $40,000. I said, well, how long have you owned the investment? And she couldn't quite remember, but we called, made a phone call to someone that would that would know. And the person said, I, I, we made that investment two years ago. So I said, <laughs> so I want to make sure I understand this. You're in some kind of investment that's a private investment that you gave someone $40,000 to that they're claiming is now worth $1.1 million and you've only owned it two years and it's some kind of currency. I said, is this Bitcoin? She said, yeah, 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 it's Bitcoin. I said, well, how do you know this person? Well, this person was someone that, that she worked for that lived in a really nice house and a really nice neighborhood. I'm not ready to say where it is yet. It's not in Corpus. I will tell everybody it's not, it's out of our listening area, but, but in the state of Texas and that all these people in the neighborhood are involved in it. And I said, give me the name of the person. She gave me the name of the person. I'm not ready to talk about it yet on the radio. And I looked this person up and this person has an extensive multi dozen page articles and disclosures and complaints about being involved in multi level marketing schemes. And I said, ma'am, this is a scam. And she knew it was a scam. She knew it in her gut that it was a scam, and she didn't want to believe it. I said, this guy is a scammer. And she looked at me straight and said, why is this guy not locked up? And I said, I agree with you, ma'am. When I read all these page after page after page after page after page, and I can keep going on, ladies and gentlemen, of this guy being involved in scams. And I start looking at the people that he's associated with. And then I look at this silly organization, this 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 investment group that's on this supposed statement on her phone, and I start digging that up online, and I find it's some two-page website that some kid probably put together, you know, in their bedroom one evening with, with some offshore address, and you look up the name of the principal, and the name of this principal has just as many uh, complaints and, and you know uh, internet Lawsuits. entries, internet entries and and seizures and all this for you know multi level you know Ponzi scheme you know it's like why why are these you know why are these people not in jail how you know, why is how is this going on so I don't know how many people are involved in this this scam she claims that she believes that there's some professional football players that have invested in this, that this has all the earmarks of some kind of affinity scam being that's been put on. I have no idea if the state's already investigating this. Um, I asked her to try to get her money out. I said, call the guy and ask for your $1.1 million and see what he says. And then when he doesn't give you it, ask for your $40,000 back and see if you can get that. Now, I haven't had a chance to talk to her yet to see what her response is. The story is ongoing, and I will continue to tell the story as I learn more about it. But 
please beware about these private investment partnerships, pri- anything that's private ought to just run up so many red flags. And if you if you if you have any question about it, you call us. I'll give you my opinion about it. We'll give, give us a yeah, call. we'll get, get call us in San Antonio if you're in San Antonio. And here's the other thing, if you get promised rates of return or in this situation, she had a return in two years of 2,750%. 30 times. Um, almost, yeah, 27.5x her original yeah. investment. That should also raise a red flag that this is probably BS, and I'm not talking about Barbara Streisand, as Dad would say. <laughs> so anyone that promises you rates of return, like Jeff said, private investments, oh, I only let in a few people. I don't know if you can qualify. Same kind of deal that Bernie Madoff used to do to rope in his victims. You know, buyer beware, and if it doesn't smell right or sound right, then Reach out to the Money Wise guys and run it up our flagpole. We would love, we would love to be able to help you out. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, And I found an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things... Every retirement portfolio should have, and for any longtime listener of the money, or for any longtime listeners in the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists, our countdown lists here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one, 
for the five things every retirement portfolio should have, and number one being consistent income. And I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program the lack of consistent income, or I should say decent income, for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend-paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income, but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock. And kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again, uh, the dogs of the Dow are the, uh, at the beginning of each year, they identify the five or ten highest dividend-paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend yield. Well, you can say it's more than 5. I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day so yeah it is something over five percent but the one thing i would say about this call you know the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account a consistent income now in in days gone by obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio and that was true from the time uh in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in in 08 but because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know, they can get consistent income. I was going to say the problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired that, that they can survive on unless and as we've talked on this program. If you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio 
and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I think for any given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. And these are all household names. So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we – there, there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid, privately traded REITs or REITs in general. There's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just, for, and just ignoring when they go down in value. Many of the, the, the master limited partnerships, some of the REITs, had large declines in values and saw their yields go up. And for whatever reason, the, the, the investor that held those, those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security. And having a 12 or 15% yield is all fine and good, but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15%. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding 8 and now it's gone down 20% or 30% in value. And so, uh, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%. But if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when, we, when we're reviewing client portfolios. But we know that was an issue very much in the past. And we pointed that out to a lot of investors. And a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one one more thing before we go to break is that dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more uh, – uh, there's a better treatment of, of, of taxation uh, on, on those dividend-paying stocks than you might otherwise get in, uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay. Well, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And Jeff, I'm glad you brought up right before we went to commercial break the REITs or real estate investment trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income, but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had. And I've said 
I've actually seen this when I've talked to somebody that said, oh, Kyle, look at the great 10, 15, 12% uh, dividend yield I'm getting. And, I'm sa- and I said to them, but you've lost 50% or 75% of the value of your original investment. And then I see the look come over their face saying, oh, my gosh, I just realized that I was, like you said earlier, focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture. So for any listener that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a 10% dividend yield if you've lost 50 or 60% of your original investment. Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print in every perspective, as we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. Five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top, and that oh, you know, it, it's it, that's all it. these all this these yeah, this is it. It can't go any higher. We'll go. We'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began. And there's just been this obsession with 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 folks needing to, in essence, board up their portfolios, get ready for that coming storm, get ready for that hurricane that's coming. And, you know, preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about. But it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks, you have a portfolio, and in that same portfolio you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks, is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar, but most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port- have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks and what's getting ready to happen and what's what really started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds. They thought that being an invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, I want out. I don't care what it, what it, where things are valued at. I don't care where the markets are. I don't care what the news is. I don't care what the Fed's doing. I just want out, and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds. And they were, and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling. And so they were seeing the value of their portfolio 
go up. Now, stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013, and, you, and, and suddenly this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income, because that's, what, that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds, that I, I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to, to fixed income found out that, yes, you can lose money in bonds. And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account, I mean, David's, you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one, and will continue to be the philosophy for 25-plus years to come, is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tide shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here at, that have come in through our front door that have been in that situation. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans. And for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain 
for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two, these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire – the one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example, you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, that is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension, is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, that's if you choose the single life payout. Now, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners of the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. 
you start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So, again, the payout's going to be less than option number one. And so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident, then guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option. And there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three, three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now, imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and you need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have, usually when you re, when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401k and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401k to live off of in retirement, and you don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make, and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liqui- it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments, no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why 
make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. You're just reducing your flexibility by committing yourself to, to a taking a pension uh, payout in, in the form of, of payments, which is in essence an annuity. They don't ever call it that, I know. which is very interesting. It's not it, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office, it never says annuity. It's just this is going to be your payment for your life, your life for your heir's life, for your spouse's life. It doesn't say that this is an essence an annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking monthly distributions from the assets we manage and, in essence, have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves, by, but, but doing it by not owning an annuity and having full access to their money in case... Complete liquidity, complete, complete flexibility, flexibility, and complete access at all times. And the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case, God forbid, an emergency is three business days. That's it. And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities, and it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those, those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are. Because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff, some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct. We do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to, 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 to mislead Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co corporate contributions into the into the employees pension plans by keeping more money in it they don't have to contribute as much as That's as right. a corporation which improves their profitability. That's right. And so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire. That's right. It's not very common, but it does happen. It does happen. So Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, for we, Jeff we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we'd said in some of the in some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and and the the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of liquidity. Of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've, especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial, since the financial crisis. And the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, they're required to report 
you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs were in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If you have, if you're signing up for an investment and it has a 200-page prospectus, you need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially – you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trust or REITs, in bold letters, now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've been around the block a few times with these. In the 25 years we've managed money, we, have, we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and w- we would not recommend to most investors unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote unquote play or Vegas money that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded okay so again when we're, we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's money wise program when we come back we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have we've done consistent income preservation of capital capital liquidity slash flexibility and we've got number four and five coming up after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh my gosh, how many, I mean, we've, we're down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. And our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. 
Um, and the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule, um, and really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based uh, structure, a fee-based arrangement that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs, ask the questions, and and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product there's that that's that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask and 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 the person on the other side of the table should not him haul around or should not try to deflect the question away because cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses, and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go, we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show, they can add up. And they're not always obvious. And you have to, as Kyle says, dig deeper to figure it out. Uh, for folks that are involved with wrap accounts at major brokerage houses and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in many of those wrap accounts start off at two two and a half percent per year and go up from there that's right uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded three percent of assets under management and don't even get a startus started about annuities. Well, I, I, and I'll, I'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing, that's a flat-out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not people doing don't it work, out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing, so keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again, is long-term growth. The bottom line is, is as you get closer to retirement, and as Jeff said at the, the beginning of this second hour, you can't just board up your portfolio. You cannot say, well, I'm two or three years away from retiring, so now I'm just going to move everything 100% into fixed income. Now I'm safe. Yeah, preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth. You always need growth. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, you need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to 
four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars, and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just going to put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset, and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long-term growth. And, and we've always said, don't be confused with pre- preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio. Not paying attention to that, not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss. Well, it's not going to show it on your statement, but it is a loss. One thing that that I think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the CPI running around two percent are just about over, yeah. and we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride into the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe. You are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when you're doing this. You are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio. And so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half, one thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k, hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week